welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 10, we covered two plagues. That was the plague of locusts, as well as the darkness that set upon the land of Egypt. And once again, we want to remember that in all of the plagues that God is striking the land of Egypt with, it is against the idols of Egypt to prove to Pharaoh, to the servants of Pharaoh, to all of Egypt, as well as to Israel, that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is the only true God. And so therefore, these particular plagues were directed at the gods of Egypt. And remember, Egypt was polytheistic. They had many gods. But these miracles were directed at the gods of Egypt simply to display the impotence of the Egyptians gods. That is that they are no gods at all. And in the plague of the locusts, it was basically directed to Newt, the sky goddess, as well as Osiris, god of fertility. Now, with respect to the darkness, the plague of darkness, and that one was absolutely astonishing. I would really have hated to be involved in that particular plague when the scripture said the darkness was so was so deep and dark that it felt a thickness that you could feel. But nevertheless, this was directed also against Newt, but primarily against Ra, the sun god of the Egyptians, as well as Hathor. Okay, now we're getting ready to go into chapter 11. Chapter 11 is going to be a very short chapter and almost thank God for that because when we get into chapter 12, chapter 12 would be just the opposite. It's going to be a very long chapter. But nevertheless, chapter 11 is going to prepare us for that final great plague that God is going to bring upon the Egyptians, the death of the firstborn. So all of this is basically the whole of the chapter introductory material to prepare us for that final plague when God stretches out his hand and kills all of the firstborn of Egypt. So let's get into chapter 11 as we deal with Moses's final uh, interaction with Pharaoh. Now, before we quite get there, let me bring that, bring this back to your attention because remember the last time that Moses saw the face of Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Moses, don't see his face again because if he does, he will surely die. So this chapter 11, this interaction that we see with Moses and Pharaoh may be that same one, may be a continuation of that same one, or it may actually be Moses coming to Pharaoh one more time and introduce this final plague. But anyway, nevertheless, with all of that being said, we just simply wanted to straighten it out that it may be a continuation of Moses' last time of being with Pharaoh, or Moses is just simply rejecting Pharaoh saying, I'm not afraid of you, nor am I afraid of your threats. And he goes to see Pharaoh one more time. All right, so now let's get into chapter 11 and let's talk about the substance of what happened when Moses saw Pharaoh right at this last plague. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man asks from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. 
the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Okay, let's stop there. So now we're preparing for this final plague. And here's what God says to Moses. He will give, bring upon Egypt one more plague. And this seems to suggest that even as Moses was doing these, you know, Moses and Aaron were doing these miraculous works, bringing upon the plagues of Egypt, Moses did not know the number of plagues that God would bring upon Egypt. But it is here that God tells Moses, this is now going to be the last plague and the devastation. What we have to remember is this, speaking of devastation, when we look at Egypt, Egypt has now been destroyed. Her economy is destroyed. Her fisheries destroyed. Her agriculture destroyed. Remember the plague of hell that destroyed the barley and the flax? And then after that, the locusts that ate up everything else that remained, the wheat and all the fruit that came from the trees. The land of Egypt, the full economy of Egypt has been completely destroyed by God. Okay, so that's what you have to see concerning Egypt. And remember concerning Egypt as well, Egypt is the most advanced and powerful nation in the world. And with all of their gods, and that's the whole point of this event, these events, with all of her gods that eat the Egyptians are worshiping, they have proved themselves to be powerless before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, but nevertheless, God says to Moses, he's going to give one more plague unto the Egyptians, unto Pharaoh. And at this particular plague, he will surely let them go and not just simply let them go, but drive them out. So he speaks of the severity of this final plague. And that's what we've been seeing in all of these plagues. What a growing intensity and devastation. And this final plague is designed by God to devastate the Egyptians to such a point where they will beg Moses to leave. But let's continue. So knowing that this will be the final one and the Israelites will be on their way out of Egypt, God, with respect to what he told Abraham, that's Genesis chapter 15, when he had made, gave the revelation to Abraham that his descendants, the people of Israel, will be in captivity, suffering in another nation. And after that, God will bring them out after 400 years. But God said to even Abraham, Abraham, he would bring them out with great substance, that is with great wealth. Here in verse number two, we see the preparation for the fulfillment of that. As God tells Moses to speak to the Israelite people and tell them to go to the Israelite and ask the Israelites to give them things, articles of silver and articles of gold, which we will see not only just here, but also in verse in chapter 12, they would be articles of great value. And why did the Egyptians do all of these things? Number one, God gave the Israelites favor in the sight of the Egyptians. But not only that, 
Remember, all of this devastation that has been happening in Egypt because of the gods of these Israelites and because of Moses. And that's what you see here. So God gave them favor. And because Moses himself was greatly esteemed by the servants of Pharaoh, as well as the people of Egypt. Now, I like that, too, because notice when we look at the servants of Pharaoh, these were the very men who resisted Moses when he first came. When Moses would do a miracle from God, they would go and try to duplicate those miracles until they came to the point where they couldn't. I think it was the last one they were able to duplicate was frogs. They couldn't duplicate the gnats. But when they came to a final miracle that they could not duplicate, they yielded and said that this was the hand of God. And therefore, God's working through Moses with all of these miraculous works, he garnered respect for Moses, even from these very magicians, as Paul himself spoke in second Timothy, Janus and Jambres, they respected Moses as well as all the Egyptians. And this respect is born of fear, not because they were in love with Moses, but because they feared Moses because Moses spoke for his God. They feared the God of Israel. But anyway, so now let's continue. Verse number four, Moses said, thus saith the Lord about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand, that you may know how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. OK, now, even though we don't have the introductory material, verse number four, that we normally have, that is when the Lord was saying to Moses, Lord would say to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say, let my people go. OK, this time Pharaoh is not given that opportunity to repent. And by repenting, that is to let the people go, because to let the people go is the evidence that he now believes Yahweh, the God of Israel. He has humbled himself. Remember, that's the last thing that Moses said. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before the Lord and before his people? How long, uh, Pharaoh? And Pharaoh was indignant with that particular comment. But nevertheless, Pharaoh is not given the opportunity this time to repent because God does not direct Moses to say, let my people go. He simply does what he did in the third, in the sec, in the sixth and the ninth, third, sixth and ninth plague. They struck without warning. So this is the same type of scenario. 
Moses simply goes to the Pharaoh and tells him that God is going to move in amongst the Egyptians about midnight and God himself will strike the firstborn of all of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, the one who sits on the throne of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's son. And what's important to understand about Pharaoh's son is he was considered to be a God himself. So from the firstborn son of Pharaoh until the firstborn son of the, of the girl who grinds at the millstone. And basically the millstone is something that you hold in your hand and you grind wheat, corn or things of that nature. OK, but she is the slave girl. So that is from the greatest of Egypt to the very least person in all of Egypt in their social caste system. God is going to strike all of Egypt men and women inclusive. And that's the idea that he's bringing forth in that as well as the animals in Egypt. And this Pharaoh will see God's hand moving with this final striking of God and all the gods of Egypt will be powerless against that. And since I'm talking about the gods of Egypt, let's talk about it. It will be men, M-I-N, men, the God of reproduction, Hecate, the goddess who attended women at childbirth. Isis, the goddess, and by God, Hecate, as well as Isis, these are female deities. Isis, the goddess who was responsible for protecting children, even the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who was considered to be a god himself. So therefore, the gods of Egypt will not be able to protect themselves or protect the children from the God of the Israelites. Okay, so what happens? The result God is saying, Moses is speaking to the Pharaoh. He says there will be a cry in Egypt because of this. And you can imagine that as people seeing the death of their children admit, you can imagine as the word is moving out and, and the word is going through all of Egypt, what is about to happen. And people are sitting on pins and needles and they are extremely apprehensive because you know, every single thing that Moses has predicted that his God will do his God did. So it's, it is a guarantee that at midnight, you might as well get ready. You can start holding your children, kissing your children. Why? At midnight, they will die. Moses' prediction will come to pass. So you can imagine the apprehensiveness of all of the people as they're looking into the faces of their children for the last moments of life when God begins to move throughout all of Egypt and sucking the life out of each and every one of them. But let me just finish this part. Man and beast. And then he said, and the cry that will come upon all of Egypt. And you can imagine the wailing of mothers and fathers and children and brothers and sisters wailing as they see the dead bodies of their brothers. So everybody in which there was a family, that first child died. And so, Wailing of all of Egypt. Now, this is the distinction that he's bringing in verse number seven. He said, but in Israel, that is in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were dwelling. Remember, he said this will happen around midnight. 
You won't even hear a dog, a dog barking against a man or a beast. What's important about this is this. One thing that you can just about always count on, if there are dogs, the dog is going to bark. Whether it's a man, he's going to bark, or whether it's some animal moving about in the night, he's going to bark. What God is saying is this. There is going to be a distinction so much that in the land of Egypt, where the Egyptians are dwelling, you can imagine. I can't imagine the wailing nationwide, and this is not no, this is, in almost every single house of Egypt. So can you imagine the loudness of that noise as a nation wails? And then right in the land of Goshen, nothing, nothing. You hear absolutely nothing. Nothing, not even what a dog who normally barks all night long. He doesn't even bark. God silences the voices of a dog. Why? He says so that you will know without a shadow of a doubt. Number one, Yahweh is God. The sovereign power of Yahweh can do any and every and control everything. And that you will also know Pharaoh, as well as the Egyptians, how God is making a distinction between his people and your people. Okay. Now, then he says, let me deal with verse number eight so I can deal with a couple of principles. As a result of this final strike from God, he says, all they're going to send for me, your servants will. And remember the magicians who were resisting Moses and how they had problems with Moses. He said, let me tell you what they're going to do. They're going to call me and bow down to me and they are going to beg me to go. And after they can finish begging me to go, then I will go. What he's saying to Pharaoh is this. And it's at this time, I won't even ask you to let the people go. At one time, they wouldn't let, I, I was asking them, let the people go. I was asking you, great Pharaoh, let the people go. But you know what? Your servants, and here's what you have to also see too. Remember now, the servants, the magicians, and the counselors of Pharaoh, they are subject to the Pharaoh. And to be disobedient or disrespectful to the Pharaoh will warrant you a death sentence. But it is here. When this plague strikes, this 10th and final plague strikes, they won't give a care. They are, Pharaoh, we are not asking you uh, uh, to uh, counseling you to let, tell, to let Moses and his people go. We're going straight to Moses, our own selves, and we are begging Moses, go, take those folk with you and get out of here. Take all the jury that we gave you and get out of here. And then he's the whole point is, that is being also assumed here is. And thus, as God has says earlier in this chapter, chapter 11, Pharaoh himself will drive you out. And we'll see all of that in chapter 12. OK. And Moses left from the presence of the Pharaoh hot as a six shooter, as my granddaddy used to say. But now let's talk about this because. Let us take time to consider in a sober manner what God is actually doing here. This whole issue has been with the gods of Egypt 
as well as Pharaoh in his stubborn, resilient heart, refusing to let the people go. But in this, and we saw the devastation on the land, we saw the devastation. But remember we said earlier, I believe it was in chapter 10, when I made the point that up until this point, we saw no death of human beings. But now we see death on a massive scale. And so what we have to consider is because people say this, this thing that's going between most like a challenge between the gods of Egypt and the God of the Israelite is actually happening between Pharaoh and his magician counselor servants and Moses and Aaron. You would say this has not so much as the people, the people are not involved in this. So maybe is God right in what he is doing because God is going to kill God himself is going to kill every single firstborn human being of the Egyptian. Is God right? Two things, two things. Sovereignty. There are two principles that you must understand. God is the sovereign God of the universe. Everything in this universe came into its being by virtue of God's creative hand. Everything that continues to be is because of the blessings of God, because of the grace of God, because God has said it so. And as the creator and maintainer of this universe, the sovereign God, that's what we mean by sovereignty. God has the right to do with everything in this universe whatsoever he pleases. Now, it may seem to be a harsh thing to hear, but nevertheless, it is the natural truth. If God wanted to get rid of every human being on the face of this planet, that is his business. Why? What did God say? All souls are mine. The earth is mine and the fullness thereof. The cattle on a thousand hills, they belong to me. The silver and gold in this world, that's mine too. In other words, God is saying the world is mine. The universe is mine. And because it's mine, I can do whatsoever I please. And no one, no one can question me in what I do. That's number one. God can do what he pleases whether we like it, whether you like it, whether I like it or not. And no one has the right to question God. Remember what Paul said in Romans 9? Who are you, O man, to question God? Shall the creator say to the create, shall the created thing say the creator? Why have you made me thus? Cannot God create a pot to do one thing and another pot to do another to serve his purpose? He can do that. And when Paul said that he wasn't talking about pottery, he was talking about human beings. And here we see the, the majesty of God in doing just that. God is now taking human life on a massive scale according to his will, so that he can demonstrate his power. Principle number one. Now, the second thing 
you have to remember as well that the Egyptians were worshipers of idols. In all of that, okay, in other words, I'm now dealing with the issue principle of justification, not justification of salvation, but being justified in what you're doing is righteous. Even when it's a beautiful thing, is it not? Even when God himself was getting ready to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did you find? Abraham was trying to bargain with God. Lord, if there be 50, Lord, if there be 20, Lord, if there be 10, will you not spare the people? But notice what Abraham asked the Lord. Shall not the judge of the world do right? And the answer is, of course, God is always righteous when he judges. God is always just and justified when he does a thing. And that brings us to the Egyptians again. They were idolaters. The knowledge of God, that's Romans chapter one, once again, they had the knowledge of the true God, but they rejected the knowledge of the true God. And what did they begin to worship? Figments of their imaginations created from four footed beasts and all types of things of that nature. Not only that, what did God do through the hand of Moses? Miracle after miracle after miracle to destroy the gods of Egypt, to show the incompetence and the impotence of the gods of Egypt, proving that the gods of Egypt were no gods at all. But here is the question. Did they turn from their idolatry? They were rightfully involved in idolatry. I'm sorry, wrongfully involved in idolatry in the first place. And they continue to be wrongfully involved in idolatry, even after a preponderance of the evidence. Think about it. Why did Moses do all the things that they did? That's the whole point. That's why we've been introducing for every plague, each of the Egyptian deities that were struck. That's why we brought all of that up. Why? The point is. In all of that, they continued in their idolatry and therefore they are worthy of judgment because that's the whole point. Matter of fact, that's the whole point of everything. That's the whole point of everything. When you get to the very end of human history in the book of Revelation chapter 20, the end of human history, when you're getting ready to destroy this whole universe, that is God, destroying the universe that he has once created, you will see that those who end up in the lake of fire are all those who rejected God. In other words, they deserve their judgment for they are worthy. Worthy, why? For they rejected God, having been given knowledge and revelation that Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Christians, Jesus, the Messiah, having given all types of evidence all throughout history, they rejected God and therefore are worthy of this judgment. You got it? So therefore, two principles that we see in the great judgment of the death of the firstborn of the Egyptian. Number one, God is sovereign. He can do whatsoever he wishes. Number two, when people continuously reject God as the creator of this universe, he is justified to bring judgment upon them. Okay. All right. Enough preaching. Now let's close out chapter 11, which I thought was supposed to be a short chapter, but... 
Ah, uh, you know. Then the Lord said, verse number nine, he said to Moses, what? Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron perform all these wonders before Pharaoh. Yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. OK, so now as we kind of bring an end to that, it, it forms both an end as well as an introduction and end to looking looking back. And with Moses's interaction with the Pharaoh and all the mighty powers and wonders that God worked through him, through Moses to Pharaoh, so that God could multiply his wonders. And the point is this, in all of these things, one thing that the Egyptians knew, that Israel knew, the news, the report that traveled throughout all the lands of the nations, that Yahweh is God. That's why he did that. That the world, notice I didn't just simply say the Egyptians, Pharaoh, that the world may know he alone is God. So I don't care what God you're serving, like the Egyptians, what your God may be in that nation, throw it away because Yahweh is God. What God can do the things that Yahweh has done. And then he simply says, Moses and Aaron, and this is basically prescriptive as he deals overall, he looks overall at Moses and Aaron's interaction with Pharaoh and the Egyptians of how they did these wonderful signs through the power of God, but nevertheless, purposeful, purposeful, how God hardened the heart of Pharaoh that he wouldn't let the people go. And once again, let me do my um, scholastic thing here. Remember, once Pharaoh hardened his heart, God judicially, judicially hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh could not change his mind. So that since he refused to let them go, God says, from this point forward, you will not have the ability to let them go. And so what? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So now, Thanks for joining me with that, guys. Join me again as we get into chapter 12 next time. And here we will, get, we will get ready for the final plague that will come upon Egypt that will establish the Passover. And it will result in the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt. See you next time.